0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Here are your hosts, Julie Fudge-Smith and Colleen Pilar.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Colleen Pilar. And today we have a very special guest, one who's very close to my heart, Judy Gladson, who is a flat coat retriever breeder. She got her first flat coat in 1990. She produced the first litter in 1995 and has since then produced 18 litters of wonderful dogs. And she does a lot with her dogs. She has done agility, obedience, hunting, and has taken her dogs to Westminster. In fact, I saw two of her dogs at the Westminster show this year. So that was pretty exciting to see one of my dog's relatives in Westminster. Um, So she's now retired from... uh, her her real job and is now concentrating more full-time on her retrievers. So thank you very much for joining us. We're going to talk about puppies and breeding today. So thank you for joining us, Judy. We're really excited to have you on board today. Sure, I'm
0: honored. Thank you.
2: So Judy, one thing I've always told my husband is that I would like to raise a litter of puppies from birth. I have no intention of breeding and I really don't know anything about this so it's really not a good plan and he keeps telling me so but i keep saying <laughs> if we find a pregnant dog who needs a home i think we're an awesome home and he says uh, i don't think so uh, i know there's a huge learning curve of everything that needs to be done to set puppies up for a really good start in life so can you tell me a little bit about what the experience is like to go from birth to to off to your new home. What is that like for, for the puppies?
0: So for the puppies, um, assuming everybody's healthy and, and um, assuming that they stay healthy and we can keep them healthy, it's a good experience. And I follow a lot of early stimulation kind of things. Um, Carmen Battaglia wrote some um, early stimulation kind of um, where you you introduce them to cold surfaces and turn them upside down every day and and things like that. And then I also follow. There's some golden retriever breeders um, in the northeast, and they have a a company called Avadog, and they have um, a really good program that I love to follow. And it's all about different scents and surfaces. So as early as three days old, I'll put a lime in the box or I'll put a lemon in the box and a different surface and um this last litter I had, there was one girl that was so fat, I made her, I balled up some towels and she had to climb over the towels to get to her mother because I was worried she wouldn't walk. But it is, um, breeding is a, like, it is not easy. It is not easy on the heart or the wallet. And it is, um, I mean, you have to be passionate about breeding to do it because it is difficult. It's 24-7 and it is it can be stressful and it can be heartbreaking. So I, I have um, luckily never lost one of my bitches, but um, I've lost puppies and um, you know, and sometimes you don't know why sometimes you do. And and it is, so it's, it's difficult, but the puppies get um, the puppies. I think it's, you know, it's, it's again, as long as they're healthy, it's fun for them, but there's a lot of things. I mean, they come down with diarrhea and then they don't feel well, and then they, you know, so it's just it's just a constant twenty four seven, and it it is a passion. Um, and if you didn't have that passion, it would be very difficult to do. It was very difficult to do when I worked full time, and I had a great boss who let me telework quite a bit. These last this last litter is the first litter I've had um, when I've been retired, and that was a completely different experience for me and wonderful. So that was that was really fun because I did. I felt like I got to know them a little bit better. That's one thing that's very stressful for me is I want to make sure that every puppy that I put in the home is chosen correctly right. for that home. And it takes a lot to get to know them when you have big litters. And um, so uh, like Julie's Zuzu came from a litter of 11 and that is, that's a big litter and it's, you know, it's, I take, to, I used to take time off from works just so I could get the, the litters better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's very important to me to, to match the puppy with the
2: correct home. So, so some of uh, our listeners probably don't know too much about puppy development. Can you tell us what a puppy is like, say, like at birth and what skills develop at approximately what ages?
0: So, as soon as they come out, um, you know, we, we help the mothers clean them up and rub them down and make sure that they get warm. And I mean, they will find nipples right away and, and start crawling around to nipples. They are like little blobs and, um, really until, but they start walking by day three, they are up and moving around and I am always, really how fast they get up and, you know, and I mean, they're awkward of course, but, but they're moving around and they, if mom gets up and moves, they'll find her. Their sense of smell is incredible. Um, eyes open at about maybe 10, uh, 10 days to two weeks, and then ears open up about three weeks. So two Mm -hmm. and a half Three weeks, but I start putting um, in my whelping box. I start at like one and a half weeks putting pee pads on one side of the whelping box, and then all their comfort bedding and and toys and stuff on the other side. And they they will toddle over at one and a half to two weeks and find the pee pads and start you know start learning to to keep themselves clean. It's amazing to me with every litter how. If you keep them clean, they want to be clean. So they really develop some of those skills early. And it's fun to see them do that. And it's fun to see them crawl over toys and um, and do things like that. They really don't start getting fun until four weeks. You know, that's when I mean, it's mm-hmm. fun to see their little eyes open. And it's fun to ke- hear them, you know, with their ears open. And when you walk in the room, then they hear you. You know, and that's really kind of fun. Sometimes they'll bark um they their <laughs> hearing is new and so that's kind of fun too but they really get fun at about four weeks when they're really up and moving around and I usually move them out of the whelping box um, into a bigger pen at four weeks and then you have to be a little careful you have to keep you have to increase the size of the pen slowly so that they can find their keypads pads, find um, their litter box or whatever it is that people use them so, um, so you have to just increase that you know slowly over time and, and I put all sorts of stuff in there and different surfaces and I have things hanging down from boxes and that make noise and um, you know toys and uh, little little ball pits and so it's fun to see them kind of discover things too and look up in the air. They don't their peripheral vision is really poorly um, it's really pretty poor till, you know, eight weeks, really, because you can still startle them if you come down, you know, with your hand on the side of their head or anything like that. But, um, but it's fun to see them develop. It really is. And it's fun to see their little personalities come out and that the personalities start coming out really at about four weeks. And that's when I really start making notes and things like that. So my question is, is, um, so do you have a sequence at which you start
1: introducing things like when at what age do you allow them to go outside for the first time? Um, and when
0: do you, but, um, Go ahead. but I'll start them at four weeks if, if they're, so some litters are more developed than others too. This last litter I had, I always felt they were like a week behind and I don't know why I felt that way. Um, cause they didn't seem to be, but they were just young for like at four weeks, they were young. I didn't put them outside till five weeks and the weather was pretty decent. Whereas the litter before mm-hmm. that I would, I would have put them out at four weeks if it hadn't been a winter litter. So it really depends on. Okay. Um, start putting them out. But I have a nice setup too, because they can um I have the pen in the family room and that goes right out to the screen and porch, which then goes out to the backyard. So I just I uh, have a little <laughs> a little shoot system where I set the x-pens up and then they they run out the back they run out the door and then run outside. So they really do learn to potty chain themselves. They're pretty good.
1: That's great. Now, one of my other questions is when do you start allowing people to handle them or to be involved? Or is that something that happens right away?
0: So that's a big thing with breeders. A lot of breeders won't let people come to their homes because they're worried about, you know, crime and and stuff like that. Um, I've been pretty lucky with repeat families um, for my puppies. And I just these last 2 litters I just cleared out a 2 year waiting list so I'm pretty lucky with that um, and I think it's you know the flat coat is not all that popular breed anyway but I also think that I have I've been lucky with the homes and referrals and things like that so I tend to let people come pretty early like at 2 weeks um, wow my co-breeder will come you know she she will be there and I have uh, another friend this time that helped me and she'll come at a couple of days my pet sitter will come you know, the next day um, because I trust them and they come in and they take their shoes off and they wash their hands and they, you know, so I do let people come early. And I know that some people are appalled at that. Um, I also let my puppies interact with my big dogs and some people are appalled at that too. But I, you know, there's enough risks in life anyway. and, And, you know, I try to minimize the risks of having people in, but I think it's important for them to be handled that much. So Zuzu was handled more than any puppy I think I've ever had. <laughs> <Because> everybody <laughs> was told here,
1: hold her. <laughs> well, Let's Zuzu see. remains very special. Um, <laughs> she, she helped me do my yoga. She, she still loves me. She's the most awkward cuddler I've ever had though. She's yeah. kind of like, she's very awkward, but she really needs to be next to you. Like she helped me do yoga this morning. Oh, good. And yeah, that's um, good. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, basically, like i should lie on mom's head or she takes her paw and she taps me she taps my nose she taps my forehead she'll tap my arm she just lays there and taps and taps and then i'll touch that So she puts it down then she'll tap me in other places with her paw just very gentle like what are you doing down here
2: (laughs) yoga is a team sport who
1: knew it is a team sport But I know that that Zuzu had some special problems, and that's the thing that I've always appreciated about Judy is that she recognizes early on when a puppy is is having a little bit of a difficulty. Zuzu apparently was not eating well, and so, you know, she, you know, paid attention to that right away. She was, what, three days old when she got her first chiropractic adjustment or something? She wasn't very old.
0: It was actually, it was almost, it was about two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks, um, yeah because I had started to feed them early. So I normally start gruel at about three weeks, but this litter was big and, um, and I wanted to start feeding her to see if I could get some weight on her because she was still pretty small. So by the way, I,
1: that's not an issue now.
0: <laughs> she's, she's plenty, she's plenty big now. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was at my chiropractor who's also the dog chiropractor and I was mentioning to, she asked how the litter was and I said, well, I have this little one. And I said, I've just started to feed, and if I lift the the little, I feed her separately, and I put it on a little plate, and I lift it up to her head, and then she can lap from it, but she can't put her head down to eat, like put her head down into the bowl. And she said, oh, I bet her atlas is out of whack. Why don't you bring her to me? So I didn't want to meet her in a, I didn't want to take her to the vet's office because she was so young, so she met me in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, and <laughs> first adjustment in the back of my, in the cargo area of my VW <laughs> and, and, I'll tell you what, I said, wow, she is really out in her atlas. And it may have been just because she was so mushed, you know, in utero and that puppy came home and put her head down and hasn't looked back since then. So no, she thing, hasn't, <laughs> I couldn't, believe it. I've always been a big fan of chiropractors and all my, all my litters go normally at about seven weeks, but yeah, that one was, that is, if I wasn't a fan before I am now. So that was amazing.
2: That is
1: amazing.
0: So, yeah. So there's a
1: lot of I, so. So I think it, it, it requires a certain <laughs> real level of, of of knowledge of what normal puppy progression should be because you're going to miss stuff. And and do you find that that sometimes some of these issues that a puppy has early on can can impact them long term? And what kind of issues would you be looking for that would want that you would want to either um, kind of let the puppy grow out of or what other issues that you want to attend to right away and how do
0: you know how do you make that decision so I think I mean I've been pretty lucky there's there's something called like swimmers right and those are puppies that won't stand up and move around and I have not really ever had that um, but I have had puppies who just don't thrive and that is something that I mean that's a 24-7 thing you cannot take any time off from that you have to supplement. Um, I had a litter of 12 and I lost three in the first 36 hours um, and nobody could figure it out. I called all the different vets and I had a, I had, um, I had rented something called WelpWise, which is a, it's a predictor of when they're going to, you know, start whelping and all that kind of stuff. And that you pay a lot of money for that. And that service is supposed to support you through the first couple of days. Well, they couldn't figure it out and I finally called an old breeder friend of mine and she figured it out. And so we got started on, on some good supplements for the mom. And, um, and then I started, I learned how to tube feed puppies, which is pretty true, which is pretty dramatic. And so yeah. when you measure a tube and it, it goes down, you stick it down their throat and you feed them that way. And it's the fastest way to get nutrients into the puppy because otherwise bottle feeding takes forever and, you know there and i had nine live puppies but they needed more than what the mom could give them in the beginning so what they eventually thought was that her milk she had plenty of milk it just wasn't offering enough nutritional value is what this one breeder thought and i think that's probably what was right because i didn't lose any more puppies after that but um i also think in that litter that i didn't so i tried to save those puppies. I'm not sure I tried hard enough. Um there I've read some books since then that talk about different methods of saving puppies and I didn't know that then. So I don't know. You know, I haven't I've second guessed myself and I don't want to do that anymore. But um it was pretty awful to lose those three, you know, right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. especially when everything seemed fine and they were all nursing. So, um, and they weren't all that small, so all the puppies were good size, so that was, um, so that was hard, but that litter, so tube feeding, there's all these videos on YouTube about how to tube feed, and it's this, um, the one I liked the most was this woman, and she has this puppy in her hand, and it's the size of her hand, and it's just lying there, and she measures the tube, and then she cuts it, and she marks it, and they show you everything how to do um, how to do it, but you have to be careful because you have to get in the stomach. If you get it in the lung, of course, the puppy's going to aspirate and die. So the measuring is really careful and everything. Well, these black puppies, they don't just lie there like this night nice- <laughs> <laughs> video. I mean, they are squealing and moving around and everything else, and the first couple puppies that I did, I had milk all over the room, and it was like, <laughs> spewing everywhere, and I'm so I'm crying, and I call another friend of mine, and I'm like, Marcy I don't know what I'm gonna do and I can't seem to and she's like no just keep trying and I'm like well how am I gonna know how fast will I know if I kill a puppy oh you know right away they'll die right away <laughs> oh good oh. Oh, 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 it was
2: awful. I <sighs> no longer want to raise a litter from birth oh. I can <laughs> be happy oh. now I've, I've yeah. given up my
0: dream <laughs> I'll tell you what it is it is yeah And I had a friend come a couple days later, and by that time I had all nine puppies down. Like ten minutes, I could get all nine puppies done, and she was like, "Wow, yeah, (laughs) should have been here the first day when there was formula spraying all over the bedroom." (laughs) And I I think my puppies. So my puppies are born um, now. They are the first couple litters I had. They were born in the front room, and I'd sleep on a mattress next to them for the first couple weeks, and that just got I, I got too old for that. So I now have the puppies in my bedroom and that works out great. I sleep on the floor next to the box for the first couple nights and then, um, and then I can move into my bed. So that, um, cause I'm right there. So that works out great. Um, but again, it is, my boyfriend isn't too thrilled about that whole arrangement. He, <laughs> he sleeps well, would... there sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, that's funny because our golden breeder does, uh, that we had Hudson, she did exactly the same thing. She'd kick her husband out of the bedroom cause the whelping box was in right. there. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that's, I, I think that's one of the signs of a good breeder is, is when um, you, you allow them to give birth in the, in the bedroom. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so w- what other milestones are you looking for? And, and what, at what age do you, do you feel like your puppies are ready to move on? Uh, I think Colleen and I tend to, to look at puppies as being adoptable between the ages of about 8 to 10 weeks. Do you have a
0: difference of opinion on that? Or how do you judge when a puppy's ready to go home? So I like them between eight and 10 weeks also, you know, people are anxious to get them. So I usually let them go by nine weeks and I'm usually ready to let them go. Um, as far as I think that, Hey, I'm usually ready to let them go because I'm done with them. But <laughs> <laughs> this last litter, I really enjoyed because I was retired. So it wasn't quite as stressful, but, um, and I, and, and when I was working, I would take the first week off or first 10 days off and then the last 10 days off. So you know, I've made sure they were good in the world and then, um, you know, and I'd go in maybe two days a week and my pet sitter would come, um, the days I wasn't here. Um, but, uh, I, I think nine weeks, I like to look at them from a confirmation standpoint at six weeks and then at eight weeks and eight weeks to me is the, the kind of the more important date from a confirmation standpoint. And I do a lot of testing. So I do, um, I do the standard Volhart testing, um, uh, temperament testing at seven weeks, close to seven weeks. And then I do, um, I put them on live quail at seven to eight weeks. Um, and that's important to me. And then I have another friend who does a lot of obedience, competition, obedience come, and she works with each one of the puppies individually. Um, and she does that between seven and eight weeks. So that's all just information for me. Um, and a lot of that confirms, what I've already thought about them. The temperament testing certainly validates what I think, but it's good for me too, to, to hear that and, and see it and learn it. So, um, so I'm, I'm usually ready by nine weeks. I have got where I, you know, where I want to put each puppy and, um, and then you're pretty much ready for them to go to because it is a house full of poop. <laughs> <laughs> so but again, this last journal, litter,
2: the tracks, each puppy's development how do you how do you keep all of that information straight if you have 11 puppies in a litter
0: so i keep a a pretty elaborate spreadsheet on all the different things that i do and what each family wants and um and some families are easier than others so the competition homes are harder right because they all everybody wants a best in show master hunter well I can't tell you that eight weeks that this puppy's going to be a best in show master hunter. I can tell you it's going to be a nice family companion and it's, it liked its quail and it's, it seems to be pretty bomb proof, but I you know it's got nice confirmation, but I can't guarantee anything. So those families, the, the big performance homes are harder actually to, um, to place puppies with, but it's, it's important too because we want these dogs worked and we want them out and shown and, you know, and that's an important, that's an important part of the breed. So it's, and and I'm honored when performance homes come also, um, in addition to some of my very best homes, which aren't performance homes. Um, but I think it's important <laughs> to get these dogs out there. So, um, so I, so I, I, <laughs> I have both, <laughs> but the performance homes are harder. Um, cause yeah. every, you know, you want, you want the perfect dog. Well, well, I, we don't know that at eight weeks. So it's a, it's a guess. It's a educated right. guess.
1: Well, what I was going to say is, is I think it's, if, if somebody's out there looking for a breeder, I think one of the things to ask the breeder is what do you do with the dogs? Do you, are the, do you breed these dogs for the breed standard? You know, retrievers need to retrieve. And so are these, is this, are these dogs that can be, you know, hunting dogs. And I think it's also important to get your dog out and have the dogs judged um, against their peers so you know how you're doing in your breeding program and that if if a breeder is not willing to have their dogs be judged by their peers then that's something to, to ask why because i think it's really important for you know sort of breeders to be transparent in that way to get their dogs out to get their dogs out in, in hunting competition and obedience competition in, in dog shows because how else are you going to know whether or not your dogs are really comparing to the breed standard, which is, you know, what we're trying to do here, is is breed the the best flat coats possible, on all levels. So, um, I think it's great that you do a variety of things with your dogs.
0: Well, and I think it's important for the preservation of the breed too. And and you know, and that's what that's there's so much bad hype now about breeders, right? And right. But those of us who breed to a breed standard rather than doodles. Um, which is a little bit of a bugaboo for me, but, but the, you know, we are preservation breeders where we are preserving the breed standard and that's what we've chosen to do. Um, and to me, you, I can't tell somebody that my dogs are stable in temperament unless I have them out doing things and I can't tell them that they are retrievers and I can't tell them that they meet the breed standard. Like you said, Julie, it's, you know, they have to be judged against their peers, and they they should show some sort of retrieving desire and ability. And I think competition also requires some stability and temperament. Now, we do have some, you know, there are some issues in flat coats. I'm sure it's in all breeds with um, instability and temperament. And ours is an aggression so much as it is, um, you know, spookiness and um, just not being confident and things like that. But if you get out and compete, your dog's got to show stability and temperament. So I think that that's important. And I tell people when they talk, when they ask me what I do, or I, or and if they don't ask me what I do, I tell them what I do, and I tell them why I think it's important. And it's for those reasons: the preservation of the breed, and then stability and temperament. You really, it's you can't judge stability and temperament when your dog never leaves your house. Right. Right. And
1: certainly um, we don't want to say that the only way to get a dog is to go to a breeder. There, there's, there's no one right way to get a dog. Um, Buying a dog from a breeder is one way to get a dog. It's not the only way, but if you're going to do that, then it's important I think to think about what is it that the breeder is trying to achieve with these dogs? Because that's going to, because yeah, if you're trying to preserve and better the breed, That's the breeder that you want to go to if you're looking for a particular one. So that's one of the reasons why I raised some of those questions. Um, I just remember when I went to Westminster this year and I was watching your flat coats in the ring and watching all the other flat coats. And the first thing that came to my mind was, "Oh, Zuzu, you have chosen the right path. You are just, (laughs) (laughs) you are, your career path as a as a house dog is just exactly where you should be." So um, it's never hard to place a dog with me because I'm not doing anything with it, but um, other than being a house dog. But uh,
2: I think house dog so, is an awesome, awesome role. So, you know, uh, absolutely, I I, I I do too. It's multifaceted too. It's sort of that whole piece of like there are many things we train dogs to do and then they get good at this one skill. You know, this dog is is amazing at sniffing out, you know, things in airports and this dog is amazing at retrieving quail. But a good family pet needs to be amazing at so many things to, to navigate real life with families. So I I think just a house
1: (coughs) dog is sort of an unfair
2: description at times because it's a tough
1: job. It is. It's kind of like being a renaissance dog, yes. you know, as opposed to a specialist. Never, exactly. I think we should start naming them renaissance dogs. I have a renaissance dog. <laughs> so Judy, is there anything else that you think that people should know about puppies and puppy development that would make a difference in, in the way in which they view dogs?
0: Um, so I think I would ask, breeders what they do with their puppies you know and what they do from week to week um it's not hard to put a different fruit in the box every day and a different surface in the box every day and it's not hard to expose them to different things you know once they get up and out in a pen and um and all those things are important because it's it's new things every day and so it's i think that's important to ask the breeder i i understand why breeders sometimes don't want people coming to their house to see the puppies but I would be hesitant I think to buy a dog from someone if I couldn't go to the house and see where they were raised Um, and when I have people come here you know they're amazed because I do have them out with the big dogs that I trust and right now all my big dogs are trustworthy and um, you know and I don't leave them out by themselves with the big dogs that I don't trust but, um, but it's good for them You know, it's good for them to learn to be around big dogs and they get corrected appropriately and they learn their, um, you know, their, their borders and, (laughs) and they can't just run over it roughshod over everybody else just because they're a cute puppy. So, I mean, those are other things I would ask too. And how do they socialize them? It's hard to socialize puppies, but I have several different farms I can take them to um, that are private, you know, and, and so I take them out and they get, and they run through tall grass. And they smell different things and um, hear different noises and things like that so um, i i also do a lot of i'm um, pretty lucky i live um, on about seven and a half acres and i don't really have neighbors or road traffic so i take my puppies in the in my van quite a bit and sometimes i'll just sit and open the back door so that they have to hear road noises so i would ask things like that i mean those are all things that are important When you take a puppy home for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know that um, you want it to have heard things and seen things and not to be, you know, completely isolated on a farm. And then the first time it ever gets out is when it goes to its new home. It's stressful enough going to a new home without having to adapt to all those other things also. I also always try and get kids to come, though it's hard sometimes. Um, If I have families with kids, then they come. But other times, people don't want to bring their kids because then their kids want a puppy. (laughs) But (laughs) but I do like to expose them to kids, and I think that that's good for them also. So um, I've been lucky in the last couple litters where I've had uh, families with kids, so that's been good.
2: And you mentioned your most recent litter was your R litter. Can you tell us the names of these puppies? What what were the R names you chose?
0: So um, mine is uh, Victory's Rock and Roll, and her name is Pink. Um, And then we have a Ramble On and um, his name is Otis. And we have a Rogers Rock at Hunt Lane and his name is Camper. And we have, who else do we have? We have a Rhyme and Reason and his name is Colby. And I think... That might be all I'm going to come up with. There were only, there were seven. I think I came up with five names off the top of my head, <laughs> but I do have, I have a website that I have each litter on and they each have their own little page. And, um, this, you know, when I get pictures from people, I put them up there and, and people like to see that, you know, mm-hmm. and then I keep a health, um, issues page and every, I've never lost track of a puppy that I've sold and every dog is listed on there. um, uh, for you know, and when we lost it, and if there was any issues and things like that. And I think that that's important. And I think that breeders um, don't keep track well enough. And you know, we forget as we get older. And if you breed enough litters, you're going to forget. Mm-hmm. So that stuff has to be written down, and that stuff is important. And I don't think people keep good enough track of that. That's one of the things when I'm looking for a stud dog that makes me crazy, you know, and I I'm, sometimes will end up going to a friend's dog. Because I trust them, rather than a dog that maybe I was interested in, but I can't get any information out of the breeder. So, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. it's really good information. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing some of the information, and now you have uh, mostly cured my desire to raise a litter. <laughs> mostly, mostly, <laughs> it still pops up a little, but given that my husband has no desire to do that, that's right. probably <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> But thank you for, um, first off, thank you for setting all these puppies up for success in the world. That matters. It matters to their families and it matters to those dogs. And thank you for coming on to talk with us about it today. We really appreciate sure. it. Sure.
0: Thanks for listening to your family dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Colleen and Julie would love to hear them. Call 614 349 1661. Or visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.